0: What's well, up, my friends? Jason Menes here. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Glad that you are with me as we continue our study here in the book of Acts. Now, we'll be in Acts chapter 6, podcast 119. So if you've missed anything, as always, you can go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast. My study notes are there. You can listen to the audio. If you're listening to the audio or if you're watching video, we have those available for you so you can check things out on our YouTube channel. You can go to Jason Jimenez on YouTube and you can see when you click on the podcast playlist, you can... Watch these videos. If you have missed out on any previous ones, whatever you get your podcast, you can always go to the archives, obviously, and check those things out. So just to bring you up to speed, as we enter into Acts chapter six, remember, Acts chapter one, more or less, was picking Matthias. Luke was reviewing, obviously, his account in the gospel's account when Jesus Christ ascended, gave them the great commission. The Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter one, verse eight. And then we see in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up boldly. In Acts chapter 3, the main emphasis there was the healing power that you see take place with Peter. And then that cause, when the lame man was healed, he goes to celebrate and worship and glorify God. And it draws an, a, a, an audience of people, which then led to a lot of the leaders, the captain of the temple himself, getting their attention. Then you see them being persecuted in Acts chapter four. And then Acts chapter five, we see with Ananias and Sapphira, as the church is growing and new converts are coming, we see this deception this greediness that was taking place, which again will always take place, as you and I know, as long as there's sin in the world, as long as there are human beings uh, who who have um, you know given over to the flesh, Satan, until he's bound forever, will continue to do what he's doing right now, and that is to lead people astray. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy and we saw that in acts chapter 5 and the persecution continues to mount it continues to grow and there's the spreading if you will of more uh, people more jewish christians particularly who are trying to find refuge now there's a lot of tension we're going to be now seeing that in acts chapter 6 things are growing uh, some commentators uh, estimate that this point in time in the book of acts even though we're only in chapter 6 But there's a few years since the day of Pentecost has taken place. So there's a lot of Christians now, and we're going to be looking at that today. And then we're also going to be introduced to an individual who God used in an extraordinary way, very limited though, in space. And because of that, people tend to overlook this individual. His name is Stephen. This was one of the first deacons, but also we're going to see in a minute that this man of God was used in extraordinary ways that really paved the way for people like Saul of Tarsus who becomes Paul the Apostle and also paved the way for people like Peter the Apostle to actually reach the Gentiles and go back to ministering to the Jews and allowing Paul and Barnabas to be reaching the Gentiles. So I really want to highlight Stephen's life today. And as we do, as we jump into the passage of Scripture, I don't know where you were at, my friend, but as I pray every time as we come to record this podcast— That our listeners, as they open up their hearts and are receptive to the work of the Holy Spirit, that we pray boldly and in faith and in Jesus' name, John 14, 13, that God uses us in a mighty way. As God is speaking to you right now, that as you join with me in Acts chapter 6, that whatever you're going through, that you let the word of God speak to you, not just in the situation that you find yourself in, but also, and more importantly, The condition of your heart. So, with that being said, today's message is the caring of the church and the rise of Stephen. So, we got two things as we dive in. As I said earlier about Stephen, a man of God, want that to inspire you as we study his life. But also, as we see the caring of the church, I want you to consider right now, my friend, how are you serving in your local church? Are you even serving or attending a church? And if so, what does your ministry look like? And in addition to that, the people that are in leadership, your pastors, your elders, your deacons, maybe as you're listening or watching, you are a pastor, you are an elder, you are a deacon. But I want you to stop for a moment and consider as we jump into Acts 6, how caring is your church? Because one of the things that we're going to be seeing in this passage as the church continues to grow. Now, remember, there's pockets. Localized churches, they're using synagogues, they're using their homes or whatever they can find uh, to meet and to distribute the word of God in prayer, as we see in Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four. But we see this care that the people had for one another, and that has always been the motto of the church hasn't it been, in the love of Jesus, that we are to love our neighbor, we are the Good Samaritan, but there will, there will be tension, that will arise and how we approach them and how we meet those needs. And so I want you to consider as we're studying this, and I'm like I do it myself when I'm looking at the word of God, I'm looking at my present state. And so in this case, as I was preparing for Acts, or studying Acts chapter six and preparing for the podcast, considering the people that I know that are in the ministry, how caring are they? Are they good shepherds? Do they truly and genuinely not just say they love Jesus as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, but abiding to the second commandment as to love others um, as you love yourself and, and looking at the, not just the structure of the church, not just looking at the programs that the church has to meet certain needs, but caring for the souls of the people in a way that is Christ-like. So I really hope as we look at this passage, that you'll be inspired to make sure that you are engaged, serving, and attending a church that cares and loves you and your family, and you're part of that, and you're serving as well, but that you'd be more like a man like Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. So let's dive right into the first portion of Scripture here in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 and 7. Notice it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch, or a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So right off the bat, we're told here in verse 1 that the disciples were increasing in number. So we see that many people were coming to saving faith. But then this complaint arose by the Hellenists. Now remember, Hellenists were Jews that were part of the diaspora. So they had been spread. They were not um, uh, engaged directly to a lot of the, uh, the, the traditions of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And they rose against the Hebrews, and and the concern that they had was with the widows. And the widows were being neglected, we're told here by Luke, in the daily distribution. So there's a couple of things here. Number one is we see this internal dispute that arose from these, like I said, these Jews from the diaspora, and they're complaining about the church's neglect. So already, remember I said, a few years later, still very early in the in the period of church since the day of Pentecost, so there's a lot of kinks that are still thinking, they're start, still working things out. Now remember, the Jews were not spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. They this was a lot of this was primarily just Christian Jews, if you will. But in this case, what was happening was you have Greek-speaking Jews, but in this manner, you have people who spoke Aramaic, and there are widows who spoke Aramaic. So because of that. They were being neglected. Now, the responsibility in this daily distribution, this again hovers under Jewish law. So a lot of times people think because they became a Christian since the day of Pentecost, many of the people who who turned to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they just completely and totally abandoned all Jewish law. That is not true. Again, fundamentally, based on our theology when it comes to salvation— You're not saved by the law. You look at Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 3, you look at Romans chapter 4, etc. But what we're saying here is that they're still abiding by customs, right? Certain social structures they have from the law. So this daily distribution, and again, it fits in the context of meeting the needs of people around you. Deuteronomy 14, 29 and Psalm 68, verse 5. And so there's an issue. Now notice in verse 2, the 12, they summon the full number of the disciples. So they gathered a large population of disciples. We don't know the number, but notice that the apostles are directly involved in this. And this is one of the first early signs that we see the apostles in Jerusalem gathering together as a council. Now remember, prior to all this, we just saw that Peter and John went before the Sanhedrin. So that still exists of the 70 to 72 member uh, individuals primarily ran by the Sadducees and made up of Pharisees. But you see now this council, if you will, the apostolic council of the 12 gathering about overseeing certain needs as they grow. Now we're having some tension between Greek-speaking Jews and Aramaic-speaking Jews. And so they get together they bring a large number of disciples and they say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That literally means we cannot be responsible directly, personally, of taking care of the food in the mills in these type of areas. Their, their primary goal, as we're told in scripture, is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to raise up leaders, to care for the miscellaneous needs in the early church and to pray. That was what they needed to focus on. We see in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Now, notice they said, okay, here's the requirement. We need seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we appoint to this duty. Now, what's interesting, and this is why they picked seven, because again, in the Jewish communities, they often had a seven-man council. So, they figured, hey, it works in, in our customs. So, let's appoint qualified people, men of character, seven of them that are exemplary people that we know will get the job done that represent us, that represent the church and Christ's love that know a lot of the people in community. And we're going to devote ourselves here in verse four, again, of prayer and the minister of God's word. That's our primary role. Now you think about that. What were the teachings like? Because again, Paul hasn't rose up yet to be writing a lot of the letters Peter certainly is writing his two. John, of course, doesn't get to his three letters in the book of Revelation until later. So again, they're teaching a lot of the Jewish scriptures, seeing the fulfillment of Christ in them. They have early creeds that are coming out that we would see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 5. So a lot of these creedal things are coming out at this period of time. You know, as I said, with Jewish scriptures, reading a lot of the Psalms as they're following the Jewish calendar still as now followers of Jesus Christ and seeing Jesus Christ fulfilled in the uh, Jewish festivals. You have a lot of prayer time that they're having. And of course, they're teaching. Remember, they're oratical. So they're taking a lot of the parabolical teachings of Jesus and they're teaching on them. Now, we have discovered in time, and I'm not going to bore you with a lot of them. You can investigate that on your own. There's a lot of great material out there, but there are some things that we have surfaced, you know, archaeologically that we've dug up or things that we have on papyrus that shows a lot of these different liturgical, if you will, or creeds that the early church was using at the time, again, outside of the inspired word of God. And so that's what they were primarily focused on teaching. And notice it says, and, they, and what's, what, what they said, it pleased the whole group of people. Now, there was a consensus here. They had an issue, they addressed it, and the solution was to bring in God-fearing. Notice, men that were full of faith and they were full of the Holy Spirit. That's what's interesting too, because remember, the Holy Spirit indwelling people in a way that he had never done in history on the Jewish people was new. But notice, because again, we believe that you're baptized into one spirit one faith. We're told that in Ephesians chapter four and four through six. And we're also told that in First Corinthians twelve verse thirteen. So they were they, they were identifying, they knew the early Jewish Christians of people that were not just full of faith, but they also had the presence of the Spirit. Just like you and I today, when you're around certain people and you 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 sense the spirit with them. I've had many people through the years who've come alongside me at the right time. And again, it was totally God ordained, filled with the spirit, prophetically giving me a word, blessing me, warning me, encouraging me, uh, challenging me, exhorting me. And sometimes they're difficult, but for the most part, they had just been, it's, 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 it's such a sense of comfort to know. And, and most of them, right away, this person is filled with the spirit. This person has a word for me from God's word, and I need to listen, I need I need to heed their counsel. So already the population of people, this group of disciples in the community, they loved these men that were appointed, and the names of the seven chosen men are Greek. Now notice they had to take these Greek-speaking Jewish Christians to go meet the needs of the Hellenists and the Aramaic-speaking widows, and they were from these Hellenistic Jewish community. And again, I think that's very important because you have these relationships already. You have this trust. And this is very important. I think oftentimes we miss that when you bring somebody from the outside. This was important what they're doing. And Stephen, the 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 power we see with him and the fruits of the Holy Spirit were noticeable. Out of all the people were noticeable with this individual. And so you, a lot of times in churches, you you see people that, there's no question that they're people of faith. There's no question they love God. There's no question the Holy Spirit is with them, it's upon them. But then there are these unique individuals. In recent weeks, as I'm recording this, uh, a legendary man of God, a man that, was d- d- that fits the description here of Stephen was Ravi Zacharias. And some of you know that Ravi played a, a significant role at one point in time years ago and helping me decide leaving the local church as a pastor to go into full-time nonprofit ministry to establish a nonprofit ministry, stand strong ministries, and to become a national speaker and author. And he spoke into my life. And so when I'm always encountering people like this in scripture, I look at people currently now that are in that same light that that that, that live life like Stephen, that are people full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And I think of Ravi and I think of Dr. Norman Geiser and I think of so many other people. So there are times when you're, you're, you, you're around a bunch of believers, but then you have that one particular person that is more noticeable, if you will. Not saying they're better. And they certainly, again, remember, in this vein, they are not prideful about it at all. The fruits that you see of the Holy Spirit in this person's life is not about them because you know, later with Stephen, he's martyred and his death will be a catalyst that will take the word of God beyond Palestine, Palestine that we see after verse nine, all the way into chapter seven to verse 60. Then we have another individual. Again, I'm only mentioning two out of the seven because later on, we're going to see Philip, this other deacon that's appointed and God uses him to spread the gospel in various towns and he even leads, remember that Ethiopian eunuch to Christ in Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40. And notice though in verse six, because of this, it says that these men were set before the apostles and they prayed and laid hands on them. Now this is significant because this was a sign of approval, but it was also a sign of commissioning. And I've had that as an ordained minister, being commissioned by A group of elders of my church laying hands, anointing me and commissioning me to do the work that God has called me to do. It's not about us. We are merely vessels. And we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God uses the foolish things. And I love what Paul says. He says, I didn't come with persuasive words, with boasting, but I came with you in trembling and fear to preach Christ and Him crucified. And this is what these men were going to do. And as they were going to do that, they were going to be primarily focusing in their ministry to meet tangible needs, which is another thing that we have to look at. There are times when you're there, and I've been in many of these instances, when you come in to teach the word of God, I'm not there to give food, clothing, or whatever. There are times, of course, before and after the event, people come and say, can you pray for me because I lost my job or I'm praying for this job or... We, we don't know how to pay for our, our our mortgage. We're struggling. You know, can you can you help me? Not that they're asking for money, but just can you just can you just pray for me? And there's other times, primarily when you're doing local ministry with outreaches or on the mission field, you're meeting all these needs as much as you can as the Holy Spirit supplies their physical needs and their spiritual needs. And oftentimes, we see by meeting the tangible need, you can you open the person's heart when you give them again a hot. A plate of food and when you clothe them and you give them clean water or you wash their feet or you provide medical care for them, that you're showing that you care for them, that they're a human being. That's human decency. That's a love of God because we know that they're made in the image of God. And through that, you can speak to them on a spiritual level. And that's what these men are going to do. Now in Numbers chapter 27, this is significant because the same approval and commissioning that we see here in Acts chapter 6 comes from Numbers chapter 27 When Joshua was to succeed Moses, notice it says in verse 15 of Numbers chapter 27, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit. And lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And it continues to verse 23. So you see that in the same light of Numbers 27, that's what the apostles were doing here. And because of this, notice in verse 7 what happens, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So many more souls are being added. We're told in the beginning in verse 1 that many people are coming to faith and now the word of God continues to increase. Many more souls are being added to the church and the notice it says even Priests. Now, I like what the New King James Version Study Bible says with this phrase: "A great many of the priests." It writes, quote, "It is estimated that in Jerusalem there were some eight thousand priests." Luke is not referring here to those who attacked the faith. Most priests were not from the high priestly families; they had ordinary vocations that permitted them to serve their term, and their turn in the temple periodically much like Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. These were humble, devout men of God who became obedient to the faith, recognizing Jesus as the Christ. Their service in the temple was enhanced because they understood the truth behind the rituals they performed, end quote. That is very significant. These priests, as the, the New King James Bible tells us, were ordinary people like Zacharias, but they had the Jewish scriptures. They see that, yes, Christ came and fulfilled them. He is the Messiah. So now let's look at segment number two here, the powerful witness of Stephen in verses eight through 10. And it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue, of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, you know, the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So one of the things that's significant about Stephen, even though he was called to do tangible things, right, to meet the physical needs of the daily distributions, this man, you could say in many ways was overqualified. So let that sink in. As we look at the powerful witness of Stephen, see, oftentimes people think, "Well, I'm a really good speaker, or I'm very educated. I shouldn't be, you know, standing here, uh, you know, distributing food. I- I'm I'm overqualified. I'm I'm too qualified for this. I need a more special, more recognizable uh, position that I think really upholds to my, uh, you know, education or what I deem is appropriate." To my status as a Christian. That is not my friends. And I know it's so obvious and we all shake our heads and we're in total agreement. But if you think about it so often, we continue, I think, uh, do things that are not honorable to the Lord because of pride, because we take on um, a status that is not about serving the Lord. And Stephen He's serving because he cares. He loves God. He loves people. But then we're introduced in this section here that Stephen is full of grace. He's full of power. Notice he does great wonders and signs among the people. People. So Stephen is the first person besides the apostles who performs signs and wonders. Throughout chapter 2, chapter 4, verses 30, 31, Acts chapter 5, verse 12, we'll see later in Acts chapter 4, verse 3. It's the apostles doing these signs and wonders. But now we're being introduced to a man, Stephen, a deacon appointed to meet the needs of people in the community, in this Hellenistic Jewish community. But yet this man, Stephen, is well-trained, well-studied, capable, able to articulate his faith. And notice in verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Remember before Peter and John, they were untrained people, but they knew they had been with Jesus. That wasn't the case with Stephen. He was a disciple of Jesus, but he, at this point in time, again, we don't know a lot of his backstory, but this man was prepared, my friends. This man was prepared. Now, a Jewish freedman, or a descendant of the slaves that were captured in Pompeii, 63 BC, are the people that are mentioned here, and they're taken to Rome. So these freedmen, remember in verses one through six, there was a dispute that broke out because of the needs that needed to be met you know, with the Aramaic widows. And now a dispute is being broken out because notice this is belonging to the synagogue of the freedmen as it was called. And a lot of these Cyrenians and Alexandrian people, they are refuting against this dispute term here means formal debate. So they are putting a, a case apologetically, if you will, they're vindicating themselves by disproving the work that these Jewish Christians with the apostles member at the head. Now these seven deacons that are out there in the community, many people are coming of faith. So it's causing problems outside of the Sanhedrin. It's causing problems with the synagogue of these freedmen. These are again, people who their, their ancestors were the slaves or captured in Pompeii and they're brought to Rome. Now, North Africa, this was the Cyrene in Alexandria uh, area where these were the two leading cities people that came from that point and also asia which was the western portion of the modern which is modern day turkey and cilicia so possibly this was the assembly Paul attended because tarsus was located in the province of cilicia now if you notice that there were f- they they were free from slavery which is interesting but they're disputing the work of god here which means they were not free spiritually so they were in control of their own separate synagogue. But clearly we see here, again, hidden. We see the deception of Satan in this area. We saw that with Ananias and Sapphira in the previous chapter, in chapter 5. And now we see the deception, the control of Satan with these, these freedmen running this synagogue. And we know a lot of their converts, people that attended their synagogue, were seeing what it was so extraordinary and amazing with what Stephen and his, his, his companions were doing, meeting the needs of people in their communities and preaching the gospel. And many people are coming to faith, even priests. So you think of some of the connection of these priests that were in association with these freedmen synagogues, but now they came to saving faith and they're trying to go to these freedmen and trying to convert them as well. So tension arises and this is a massive debate. Now who stands up? It's not one of the apostles. Isn't that Interesting. It's Stephen, which leads us to our third point here in verses 11 through 15. Stephen is falsely accused because Stephen arises against this accusation, this dispute. And notice what happens in verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, so notice they, their influence grows beyond their own synagogue. They're getting elders and scribes involved to disqualify, I believe, against these priests who've been converted. And of course, with Stephen himself, because Stephen, uh, you know, a man full of power and grace, was doing great wonders. So they couldn't refute that, just like the Sanhedrin could not refute what Peter and John were doing when they were killing people, particularly Peter in those in those instances. So Stephen is being accused and it stirs up these elders and scribes and notice this is, and they, they came upon him and they seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against his holy place in the law for verse four, 14. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So what's interesting is that these instigators, they were unable to successfully defeat Stephen in a debate. So what did they do? They resorted to making lies and attempt to kill off Stephen. Now, if I may uh, speak to this a little bit, this is is the tragedy, I believe. Now, remember, these these people were influenced by Satan. And we're going to have that, my friends. We are going to have... People in our lives who are atheists, people who are very progressive and liberal, and they're thinking about things. For example, someone who says they're a follower of Jesus Christ, but they're not pro life and they believe a woman has the right to have an abortion. That again, doesn't mean that person is, is not genuinely saved, but it definitely speaks to the immaturity of that Christian. But no matter what we face with people, a, mu- a Muslim, a mormon a Jehovah's witness someone from hare krishna someone who is part of new spirituality movements whatever the case may be there will be disputes and again that's not entirely say that because you get into a dispute with someone that's wrong no i believe and that's part of the sad thing is that christians get so intimidated they they don't engage in those disputes and also internally when an issue arises a dispute comes out that they don't want to get into it either. Or if they do, they're not willing to stand corrected because of pride. And maybe Satan's involved in this as well. So it's like a double whammy. And so what it does is it divides people. And so in this case, once again, we see that they could not refute what Stephen was saying. So they resorted to making up lies and attempt to kill off Stephen. Now that's extreme, obviously, in our lives. I've had many people defame me, put me down, um, accuse me of things not true but they do it because they're trying to discredit me because they could not refute whatever i said or whatever i stood for now earlier jesus remember was accused of claiming he was he was going to destroy the temple in matthew 26:59 through 61 again so this is their mo this is what they continue to do we know that paul will later face these same accusations that Jesus and Stephen face when you look at Acts chapter 21, verse 28, Acts 24, verse 6, Acts 25, 7 through 8. But notice this phrase, the Jesus, that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will tr- change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So remember, th- the key thing about that accusation of what they're saying here and bringing Jesus back in because they're thinking, okay, we need to disqualify Stephen, right? Accuse him put dirt on him, make him look bad so we can discard him. But we, but what we have to also do is we have to discredit the person that he follows. In this case, they believe Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. So let's identify, number one, he's a, a Nazarene. He came from Nazareth, right? Jesus of Nazareth. That was a way I think them throwing this out to, to present Jesus as a Jew not acceptable to the standards of Jerusalem. Remember what he was accused of doing? He was accused of destroying the temple. He was accused of changing the customs of Moses. So then they throw Moses in all of this. Now we know contextually that Jesus was not referring to the actual temple, but to the death of his body. And of course his resurrection in John chapter two, 19 through 21, John puts that commentary later after he writes the biography of Jesus. So the true message that Stephen was preaching to the crowds um, like that was to point out the fulfillment of Christ. So in any in, in, when you when you look at it contextually, they're saying you're breaking the law when in fact he says, No, we're fulfilling it, Matthew 5, 17 through 18. Jesus did come to abolish it. I'm not abolishing it. But through Christ, he fulfilled it. And he's saying there's no requirements to offer up sacrifices for sin. We see, we see that later in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, and verses 11 through 14. And the the amazing thing is, and this is this is the tension. We're still remember Jews hold today when they don't believe Christ to be the Messiah, so they don't they 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 don't believe that sins have been forgiven. They're still looking to rebuild the temple so they can go back to offering these sacrifices. But we as Christians, both Messianic Jews. And Gentiles who've been crafted in later, we now consider ourselves as the temple of the Holy Spirit according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, Ephesians 2, 20-22. And so you see the tension that's already being built here because again, they looked to the actual temple and they're having an uproar about this and it causes major tension and we we're going to see in acts chapter 7 how Stephen responds to this but before we do as we look at this final verse here in verse 15 Stephen was gazing at them and or excuse me and the council was gazing at Stephen and all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel i think this is kind of spooky or what what it what is this all about well let me tell you cuz this is so significant remember when you go back to the character of who Stephen was, his love for people, that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, that he, he is able to articulate in such a way that they could not withstand, we're told in verse 10, the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. And then as they looked at him, Stephen is reflecting the majesty of God. And guess what? Remember, he was appointed and commissioned as a way Joshua was to succeed the work of Moses. Stephen represents the body of believers. Stephen himself, as a follower of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, they're trashing him for saying that he follows a man who, who destroyed the customs of Moses and wanted to destroy the temple. And yet he's representing, in a way just like Moses, the glory of God. If you go back to Exodus chapter 34, we're told there that Moses' face You know, he had the glory, he reflected the glory of God. This is someone who's in the presence of God. And that's the indication here. So when you and I talk about the care of the church and you look at people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they're looking at men and women that are full of faith and they know the word of God. I ask you, I challenge you, and I'm even you personally, do people see the glory of God in you? Do you reflect? the glory of God, because you're in his presence. You can't help but imitate and be like someone, mimic someone when you're with them, when you spend time with them, when they have impacted you in such a way, and you're so sensitive to them, to what they have to say, that you don't just repeat their words, right? You don't just quote them often, but you sound like them in the process. That is genuineness. That's authenticity. That's not a copycat. When it comes to mentoring, when when it comes to somebody who's invested so much time, energy into your life and the relationship between the two of you means more than anything, than riches in the world, that is a powerful, my friend, that is a powerful mentorship. That is a powerful example of what your faith can do in the lives of other people. And I got to tell you, I don't just measure people based on what they know in scripture, but also how they reflect. God in their life. And Stephen not only was intelligent, he not only knew the word of God that they had then, but his life reflected the beauty of God. So much so, let me give you, in closing, three verses that speak to his face shining like an angel. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, in the hardness of his face is changed. Matthew 13, verse 43, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so I, in my friends, as we looked at Acts chapter 6 and particularly looking at Stephen, I do want to challenge you. I do want to encourage you here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Don't just study the Word of God and go through the routine and go to church. Serve. Care for the people around you. Step up. We need to be doing more. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. But notice in 2 Corinthians 3.18, We all with unveiled face, or we all behold the glory of the Lord. So it's not saying that only Stephen or only a select few Christians behold the glory of God. We all do as Christians. We're all the temple of the Holy Spirit. But the difference is, is that sanctification. What that means is the people who set their lives apart daily to be in the presence of God. And you will see Jesus more in that individual because they spend time in prayer, and God's word and caring for God's people. And so I pray, my friends, as we end now, that you be encouraged, that you be a caring Christian, that when things arise, when disputes come up, that you don't create more problems, but you provide solutions, just like we see the early church doing. And then when disputes come about with people who oppose what you believe as a Christian, that you, like, like Stephen, that you would respond as a person who's filled with wisdom, That when you speak, people cannot refute it. And remember, it's not to prove people wrong. It's not to win an argument. It's to prove that God is true. His word is truth. And anyone who defies it will be judged as a result. And because you are a vessel, because God is imploring through you, as he did with Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, and we're told that we're ambassadors, we're speaking for him And and, and pleading people to repent, even in the midst of opposition, even when people are difficult, they're making your life a living hell, show the love of Jesus, cry out to him. Because what we're going to see in Acts chapter seven, if Stephen threw a pity party, if Stephen wasn't really close to God, if Stephen was not a man full of faith and the spirit, he would have backed out probably. But God had prepared him. Again, we don't know his backstory, how he got to that point, but he was ready. He was anointed. And because of it, it would spark through his martyrdom the church to spread like it never had spread before, even into the Gentiles. So I pray, my friends, that you don't limit God, but like Stephen, study God's word, ask for the power and filling of the Holy Spirit, and may the glory of God continue to shine through you. So thank you for listening, guys. Until next time. Keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at StandStrongMinistries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.